1: I got fined uh, $42,000 for a joke I did about a little boy that had uh, sang for the Pope. He was like a -A Make-A-Wish Foundation kid. And uh, he he became famous here in French Canada. And uh, I I did a joke about him in French in a a special. And then six or seven years later, I, I got a letter from the Human Rights Commission which is a thing we have in Canada. I didn't even know we had that. I got a letter saying that I owed uh, $82,000 to this kid's family because of that joke. Like, they had decided that this joke was worth 82000 So I got a lawyer, and then my lawyer told me, he was like, look, you can either uh, fight this or settle. He was like, I think you should settle. But um, I, I told him, I was like, I'd rather give you a hundred thousand then give them even five thousand because it was just out of principle right you don't want to because it, if a joke that joke offended them but then if i pay then i set a precedent
0: hey everybody welcome back to another episode of industry standard with me Barry cats. I just want to let you know I am very grateful to all of you for all of your support, especially regarding the New York Comedy Festival. It was an amazing night at The Stand in New York City, a packed house, and you guys were so incredible. Thank you, thank you for coming out. If you need to reach me, you can do so at Instagram or Twitter or wherever social media is, just follow me and I will get back to you as soon as I possibly can. Very excited about the show today with groundbreaking international comedian Mike Ward. You might not necessarily know Mike right now, but after this podcast, you'll know him and you'll know of what he's been through and his journey. And it is really, really incredible and truly one of the most original artists you'll ever, ever hear or go see. So without further ado, let's get started. Mike Ward is an award-winning bilingual comedian based out of Montreal, Canada. He has performed at every major comedy festival, selling out shows at the Edinburgh Fringe, Montreal's Just for Laughs, Toronto's JFL 42, and the Montreux Comedy Festival. Despite being too dirty for traditional television, his stand-up has aired on TV in 20 countries, including Showtime in the United States, HBO in Canada, France 2 in France, South Africa's Comedy Central, RTS2 Switzerland, and Network 10 in Australia, just to name a few. His special, Mike Ward Infamous, can currently be streamed on Amazon Prime Video and on YouTube. On stage, despite the climate of our country, Mike has no fear about talking about taboo subjects like famine, the disabled, slavery, suicide, pedophilia, and other very challenging topics. With over 1.5 million downloads a month, his French podcast is the most listened-to French-language comedy podcast in the world. He also hosts a popular English podcast, Two Drink Minimum, which is available everywhere. In his career, Mike has been recognized by his peers and won a tremendous amount of awards, including Comedic Artist of the Year at the Canadian Comedy Awards and the incredibly prestigious Gemini Award, known as the Canadian Emmy. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my guest today live from Montreal. What an honor. Mike Ward. Hey, man. I have so many questions to ask you. And the first thing I want you to share with the audience is what it's like in Canada to be a comedian and get to the next level versus what you perceive and know it's like to get to the next level in the United States. Uh, I think, like in Canada, there are kind of
1: two Canadas. There's the the French Canada and the English Canada. French Canada is um, it feels kind of like how the st- I, I I see the states as being is there's a, a real star system you can make real money, whereas English Canada. You don't get respect in English Canada unless you made it in the States. Like Norm Macdonald, everyone loves Norm Macdonald. If Norm stayed in Canada, he'd be just as funny. No one would give a fuck about Norm Macdonald. That's how we are. We're, we have this sort of small town mentality. So you got to make it somewhere else before we respect you here. But you're making it I'm making it because I have the, uh, the, uh, the Like I have the French uh, Supporting me So I got, uh, yeah, I got My French troops following me Because I do shows I do shows in both English and French And everyone's bilingual now Pretty much in, Well everyone uh, here, here in Montreal So whatever languages show I do People just
0: show up They don't care If I could learn Spanish They'd probably come see me you do these shows in French and English? I do, yeah. I never understand why George Lopez or Paul Rodriguez didn't do one show in Spanish <laughs> one in English, and they explained to me that... The language doesn 't translate to the jokes. does French translate to the jokes that
1: I think they do. and I think it really does too in spanish because i 've been talking to a lot of uh, uh, comics from new york I, I know a couple of guys in New York that speak Spanish, and uh, they they were kind of telling me the same thing could they they had heard the same stories from like george Lopez and no it won 't translate and I was like, try it if you try it, you might see that like M- Mexicans. Oh, if, if uh, Spanish is your first language, you'll probably laugh harder at a joke in Spanish. It's just you need to find the right rhythm, the right uh, wording. You and and something's different. Like um, I noticed, like there are a couple of guys that do it in French and English here, and uh, it, it's not the exact same delivery. So it's, it's the same, the way I do it is when I, when I write a joke or I think of a joke, I'll try to test it in both languages. Sometimes it'll kill in one, die in the other. And uh, sometimes it just, it goes in one direction in English, another direction in French. I never really know. I kind of let the, um, I, I almost let the, the, the like, just the stage decide. I'll see like, okay, when, when I go, Like, I I used to have a bit about, I I have a friend uh, from high school who is uh, trans now. And um, when I first did that bit in in French, it just murdered right away. English, it took me, like, about six months just to, I don't know, just, I I don't know if it was the, the wrong wording or the wrong...
0: I don't know. There's some something just didn't work, but I eventually got it to work. Is it easier to write a joke in French first and then translate it to English or easier in English than translate the French?
1: I think it's easier in English because stand up like uh, English is a perfect language for stand up because the. I feel like you can get your ideas out quicker in English than any other language cuz m- most other languages will have like uh like in French they'll be like you never know if it's un or un like every everything has um uh, a gender so even like a table it's, it's uh, la table so it's, it's almost like it was female it's uh, la chaise so a chair is, is female and then uh, so you never know it, it, everything seems complicated in French as opposed
0: to English where everything seems more simple. Did you always do French shows or is this something that you decided I'm going to start doing this and it's going to change the face of my career if I do.
1: Uh, I start. I actually started in. Um, I started in English, and uh, I, I I didn't want to do it in French at first because I the way uh, when I was growing up, I'd see French comics. Uh, comedy in French is about. Well, in French Canada, it's about maybe fifteen years behind what the states uh, is. So when I was starting out in the in the early nineties i i didn't like french stand-up so i didn't want to do french stand-up even though i could speak french so i just i because i didn't think that the the type of comedy i did or i liked would work in french and then uh i i had friends that were telling me no no you should try you should try you'll see they'll like it and uh i did it in french and it was just uh i loved it the french canada i find the crowds are almost like black rooms like it's it the it's the same but I'd, I'd never gotten that feeling uh, until the first time I did a black room in the States that I was like, okay, oh yeah, the, the French Canadians are very pale black men, basically.
0: <laughs> oh my God. Hey everybody, I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my blueprint for success, a -a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. How long did it take to feel comfortable like you were there as an English comedian mm-hmm. and how long did it take before you felt comfortable where you were there as a French comedian,
1: it took a long time because I like I said, I started out in English and then um, when I started doing french i I stopped doing English for of uh, uh, like about ten years, and I only started back in English in two thousand and seven and i 'd say it um, probably took me like six or seven years of just doing just doing shows where now like when I'm on stage French or English it's it's all the same and um it, like when I'm on stage in English, my brain thinks in English. When I'm on stage in French, my brain thinks in French. That's the thing that's hard when you do it in, in two languages. Like um, Dan Anderman in New York uh, does shows in French and he murders in French. He does really well. Uh, but on stage, he's, like, he's not at the point yet in French where he thinks in French on stage. So if something, I, I saw him do a show, and if something happens in the audience, he, he's not as quick in French cuz he thinks of it in English and then has to translate and if you're always translating what you're going to say you're you know half a second off and half a second off in in comedy is you know an eternity
0: now your comedy for those you don't know and you've got to check this guy out he's amazing is not for everybody it's not for the as they say faint of heart when you first started were you choosing this lane and has it always been this way
1: yeah the, uh, when i was little all, all of the com the first time i i said to myself okay this is what i want to do is uh, when i saw eddie murphy delirious i that, i, I watch that I, I was i don't know how old but i was like really young i was maybe you know eight or ten years old and i just i'd watch it every day i got my mom to to buy it from the video store, and I'd watch it pretty much every day. That made me uh, discover uh, Richard Pryor. Then I discovered uh, Sam kennison Then and Andrew Dice Clay. So the first time I went on stage, I, I was like way, way, way too dirty. Especially when when you're you're kind of dark. Once you know what you're doing. You can make dark stuff funny but when you're starting out if you're dark you're just a (laughs) horrible comic so i was just i think i had some good jokes but it was just the the only thing that saved me at first is because i had a a, kind of a a baby face and um you know so i i looked
0: uh, (laughs) i looked inoffensive i think our audience would love to hear about the adversity that you faced before you became famous here and continuing after you became famous here,
1: yeah well the thing the like uh amer- the only thing um uh, Americans really know about me like they don't know my name, but I'm the guy that got fined by the government uh because of a joke, and I was famous here before that, like that didn't that didn't help me, but that um it could have helped my career, but it it, uh, it it didn't really hurt it, but it didn't really help. Cause I uh, I'll, I'll just I'll start the story for people that don't know. I got fined. Uh, $42,000 for a joke I did about a little boy that had uh, sang for the Pope. He was like a -A Make-A-Wish Foundation kid. And uh, he he became famous here in French Canada. And uh, I I did a joke about him in in French in a a special. And then six or seven years later, I, I got a letter from the Human Rights Commission which is a thing we have in Canada. I didn't even know we had that. I got a letter saying that I owed uh, $82,000 to this kid's family because of that joke. Like, they had decided that this joke was worth 82000 So I got a lawyer, and then my lawyer told me, he was like, look, you can either uh, fight this or settle. He was like, I think you should settle. But um, I, I told him, I was like, I'd rather give you a hundred thousand then give them even five thousand because it was just out of principle right you don't want to because it if a joke that joke offended them but then if i pay then i set a precedent and then it's you know people will be suing left and right in canada for no reason so i just uh i i went to court but it wasn't in real court it was a uh, in the in the human rights in front of the human rights tribunal. So the human rights commission was bringing me in front of the human rights tribunal. So the people bringing me to court, the people judging me, were the same people. And my lawyer told me, he said, "Look, you're going to lose, but then uh, we'll we'll appeal it, and then you'll win the appeal." And uh, so I lost it, I even though I knew I was going to lose for some reason it, it um, I, I went into this weird sort of funk like I, I went into a depression that lasted uh, lasted about two years and um and then now now I'm out of it. Now everything's good. Uh, it's still under appeal, so I don't have the verdict yet. Uh, the only thing I do know is if I lose uh, the appeal, then we'll bring it to the Supreme Court. And then if I lose the S- Supreme Court, the, I, I'll, I'll, I still won't pay. Like, I'll just... Um, i'll uh, because they're not gonna put me in in prison because of a joke or at least i hope not and if they do then I'll, i'll you know i guess i'll have to hunger strike it or
0: something which would probably help me you know are the comedians doing benefits to pay your legal fees uh
1: they did at first uh, they did want like just for laughs was amazing with this because so far it's cost me a hundred and eighty thousand in legal fees to not pay because uh, yeah we went to court and um the the first uh, verdict i got uh they said i owed forty two thousand. so it went from 80 uh to down to 42 but uh, uh it cost me so far hundred and eighty in legal fees. Uh, just for laughs, did um, they did a, a benefit for me a couple of years ago? They raised uh, eighteen thousand, and then I had a GoFundMe that raised another thirty. But for some reason, the media here in Canada, as soon as I, I had the GoFundMe and the benefit, then people were like uh, just shitting on me everywhere, and they were like, "Look at this guy. He's you know he's he's doing well, and he's looking for handouts." And and so so I just. I, I stopped the GoFundMe, me and I they haven't done any other benefits and I just figure I'll, I'll pay it you know and because I'm lucky I'm lucky that I had the money to pay uh, for the legal fees but uh, like i the, the whole time I don't know if this is what caused a depression or what I think it's the fact that having people that hadn't even heard the joke shit on me online like crazy and you know it eventually gets to you, even if uh, you know you you say it doesn't. And uh, plus, too, I kept on thinking like how how lucky I was to be at a place where paying 180 in legal fees didn't destroy me. Because if this happened like just five years before, or if this like most comics, un- unless you're like a, you know uh, like a at a, a Bill Burr level, if you get sued, it costs you a, you know. Two hundred grand—it's gonna—it's gonna, it's gonna kind of screw up your, your, you know, your career basically. Because most comics, if you haven't made it yet, two hundred thousand just means okay, I'm gonna go bankrupt, or uh, you know, I'm not gonna fight this. I'm just gonna pay this stupid uh, the stupid fine. Was there ever a point where you thought, let me just pay this? No, never, never. Cause I like um, no, cause I knew I knew like if I paid it was dangerous like it was it was I, I didn't want to be the guy like i don't like i lost now but like my lawyer told me we we're going to lose and then I'm, I'm i'm hoping to win the next one um but um i just i didn't want to be the guy that screwed everything up for the other comics cuz you know we're we're in a time now where everyone's offended about everything so uh, if if i pay then it sets a, a, it sets a weird precedent that then everyone else is going to sue do
0: you think the comics appreciate
1: you uh, I think they do. Uh, some do, some don't. In the States, I've, I've gotten so much love and support. Here in Canada, same thing. Uh, a couple of people uh, didn't get... Um, since since the joke was a French joke about a little kid that was famous in French... Do you want uh, to
0: share with our audience what the joke was? The
1: joke was basically that this kid was... Um, he was a Make-A-Wish Foundation kid, and his, he was a little deaf boy that was dying of some weird disease, and his wish was to sing for the Pope. Uh, which is a weird wish but then he sang for the pope and that made it like he became famous here in, in canada and uh then uh, celine dion got him to open for her in vegas the Montreal Canadiens got uh, got him to sing the national anthem. He got a, a record deal out of this. He actually came out with a record, and then like six or seven years went by, and he came out with a book. And then the joke was just me going, "Why isn't he dead yet? Like, wasn't he supposed to die? Wasn't like that was that, that was the deal? We, you get your wish, you die. He's a little wish thief. And then it was this stupid rant about how he was unkillable, and I was gonna you know try to murder him to get him to give the wish back and so so it was just stupid it was just a stupid stupid joke that then and people that that didn't hear the joke or only saw the because some people don't People that don't want to laugh will see something like that and go, how dare he make fun of a little boy that has a disability? I wasn't making fun of the fact that he has a disability. I was making fun of the fact that he became famous for being a little boy that was going to die, and then he didn't die. Like, There's something something about that
0: that makes me laugh the family get on the news crying
1: they did yeah court has destroyed our lives they, that's exactly what i went through in court and that's that's so crazy being in court and having the the kid's mom just cry and it was it was it was so weird because they didn't get that the joke wasn't really about him and uh they the the father in court looked at me and he started yelling because in the joke i said how he was the little kid was unkillable that i tra- tried to drown him at a water park and it didn't work and uh he and then he started crying and he was like he says he wants to drown my son and he, he had said something he was like my son was born with water in his lungs and now he wants him to suffer the same thing he did and i was like how the, does he think i know that like this is that how he thinks comedy works and like when i thought of this joke i was like i should call the hospital to see you know how this kid was born oh shit water in the lungs okay i'm gonna put a joke about drowning like it, it just it was crazy it was just mm-hmm. it Did was it ever
0: occurred to you somewhere in the courtroom to just say, I am a comedian. I make fun of things. It's not about your son. It's about the principle of the thing. And I'm not a murderer. I'm not somebody. Yeah, I just was trying to make light about the situation of how certain things happen for people. And I'm sorry if you took it the wrong way. Did you ever say you're sorry? I, uh,
1: I, I said I was sorry th- uh, for how they felt, but I didn't apologize for the joke. Um, I, and one thing I did do, though, that that, uh, that I thought was funny is the Human Rights Commission. So these are these people that right were judging me, saying that I was a bad person because of the joke. <laughs> and uh, then everyone in, in the media, or not everyone, some people were supporting me, but the, those that weren't were saying how was a whore horrible person for for making fun of someone with a disability and um i I've, I've like i uh, I do I've been doing benefits for people uh, with disabilities for years like this started even before the court case so and the year of um that uh, we we went to court for the appeal two of the human rights commission employees got caught in pedophilia scandals so When uh, one of them was the former president of the Human Rights Commission, which is a guy named, it's a French name, it's Camille Picard, and the other guy, uh, other French name is uh, Mario Govin. So when I was in court, and I was listening to all this garbage, and then when when I came out of the courtroom, there was the the journalists were there for the scrum, and then they they were like, "Uh, how do you think, uh, what do you think about this court case? And I said, you know what sucks about this, is these people, or I didn't say these people, I said you people talking about the media. I was like, you people are making me look like I, like I hate the disabled, like I'm a bad person. I'm not a bad person. If you wanna see what I do for disabled people, Google Mike Ward, you'll see I'm a good person. If you wanna see who a bad person is, Google Camille Picard, Google Camille Picard, former president of the Human Rights Commission, who was accused of having sex with a little boy. Google Mario Govin, who pleaded guilty to having sex with a 14-year-old, and he got an absolution. He, so he didn't do one day of prison. He didn't go to jail, didn't get nothing. He doesn't even have a record. He can travel. I was like, Google them. You're going to see that those are pieces of garbage. And then that for some reason that felt that's what kind of got me out of my depression it felt I felt it, it was the first time because the whole time that I was being attacked I was fighting back but I it, it, I was always worried okay are they gonna take this again are, are they gonna take that am I gonna lose this am I gonna lose that and when, when I mentioned those two guys names um, It it felt it felt like I was like it was a fuck you. Like I was like, look, you you I don't give a fuck. You can you can come at me. I'm just going to keep fighting. Uh, It's already cost me one hundred and eighty thousand. If it costs me another one hundred and eighty, I'll keep going. And now I'm I'm doing better uh, mentally and physically. So I started working a lot again so, you know, they can come at me and I'll just keep going.
0: Hey, everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. So just go to BarryKatz.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. When it happened, and when you started feeling depressed, had you ever felt depressed before in your life no i'm and i'm always i think that's what kind of got me in my depression because
1: that the, the reason why i got so much hate on social media because at first i was getting hate but i was getting also a lot of support because it, it's very whenever there's a free speech thing it's always very divided there's some people that think about the the victim and other people that that think about the freedom of speech part of it and uh so when people were asking me uh they'd be like uh they'd be like i saw that you know the these people uh were protesting your show and blah 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 that must kind of suck but i'm a glass half full guy i'm super positive so i was always like no i'm super happy because they're you know they're in front of the building so it's like free advertising because then people they know there's a show and i so it was almost I, it's me just being a glass half full guy. But then every time I did that, people that hated me were like, "Look at this piece of garbage that he's happy that um, he and he, he's happy that this happened." And I had um, I was doing a series of shows in uh, Edinburgh, and there was a, a journalist, that, uh, came to see a senior journalist from Montreal. And uh, I was I was in a small theater, but you know a theater and uh, the it, it, you know at the Edinburgh shows like it's always no one makes money there or, or if people do make money like not a lot of them do. So I was doing all right. We were kind of breaking even, but at best. And uh, the journalist came to see me, and then the headline was uh, it, it was written in French. Uh, Mike Ward uh, becomes uh, uh, how do you translate this? It was Mike Ward. Uh, Mike Ward becomes rich uh, because of a uh, little Jeremy, which was the name of the little boy. And I was like, "How do they think that I'm like? Is is that for them? This is making it big. This is this is me becoming, you know, a multimillionaire? I'm 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 selling two hundred tickets a night in Edinburgh at uh, you know fucking ten pounds a ten pounds a ticket, and." Uh, so it was, it was just weird. It, it, it was weird how the media, everyone thought that I was, like everyone was uh, complaining how I was milking this. And then I, I just stopped doing shows for a while. And still the press, a lot of the press here were, were saying how I was, I was uh, making money off this. And I was like, how, do they know how business works? If I'm not doing shows,
0: and uh, how am I making money off this? So let's take 100% pie. So let's say before the press came out and did the stories you were a hundred percent what percentage increase in your ticket sales were there after the press release uh it's hard to tell since i stopped doing shows uh here but because they were saying that you were benefiting from it something must have happened yeah yeah
1: but but i i have noticed though now that uh like now it, it it has helped me cuz the the fact that i stopped doing shows i guess I, I don't know what helped me exactly but it it did help. Like now my shows see my you, I
0: mean were you selling 26 shows out at club soda before this happened?
1: Uh i, I kind of was. I, okay, so it yeah, hasn't affected. It hasn't, it hasn't affected that
0: much but just now i'm selling i'm selling them uh, quicker as a comedy audience fan knowing what happened to certain people in the state ticket sales don't go up they go down yeah why did yours go up
1: uh i think uh just cuz i i waited like if you uh if uh, when you get um when you get involved in sort of a scandal, if you come out with uh, with a show right away, then you look like someone that's just trying to make money off whatever tragedy happened. And uh, the fact that I waited a while, I think my fans uh, kind of missed me and the people that hated me. People that hate you, they, they stop hating you and they forget they hate you. Like everyone now shitting still shitting on Louis In, in a year and a half, Louis Seagate Yeah, yeah, they're they're you know, they're, you you can't keep that hate for for five years, right? you, you know they'll eventually, you know. They, and Louis could sell tickets like crazy now if if he wanted to. Like he 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 was always selling like crazy, but he, I think he'd sell as much now or even more. But just now there'd be so much hate. But if he waits another two years, I think you know this will it won't really blow over but it won't be
0: it it won't be near as bad as it is now so technically your depression helped me helped you
1: yeah and the the thing that helped me too is I I got caught in this scandal or uh, right 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 before uh, the comedy world was divided like now uh, if a comic says something that's mean uh there's there some comics that'll shit on that person other people will defend the person defend the, the right for sp- free speech but when this happened to me uh the comedy world wasn't divided yet since this happened a couple of years ago so i i got nothing but love and support from the comedy world because i think if this happened now there'd be a lot of a lot of blowback from the comedy uh c- comedy because the comedy industry has changed a lot. Like, people like, uh, a couple of years ago, people like, um, uh, like Hannah Gatsby weren't, you know, uh, people that you'd hear about in North America. So, and I'm sure, like, she never
0: heard my joke, but I'm sure she'd hate my joke. Tell me the comics who've reached out to you and who have been so supportive. Who
1: uh, The ones that reached out, when, when they did that show at the... Um, at the club soda, uh, Jeff Ross was there. Ralphie May was there. Uh, Jimmy Carr, uh, um, um, Jim Norton came down uh and uh um there was a uh, jimmy kimmel came uh uh, uh, uh jb Smoove smooth was there. there there was like a lot of people most of them that i'd never met and i was surprised how supportive they were there were people they they did a show it was um it was a bilingual show at the metropolis and uh so there were a couple of comics. There was one comic from France, uh, two or three French Canadians, a couple of Americans, a couple of Brits, and it, it was just, it felt like the whole, you know, it, it wasn't everyone in comedy, but it, was, it felt like everyone in comedy was telling me, look, it's gonna be okay. It's just, this a weird time to be doing comedy. And uh, the thing that, that, that was really, the, that kind of freaked me out about that benefit is we were doing that at the Metropolis, and Metropolis is a room that uh, during the the last elections here in uh, in Quebec, the the, the lady, the one, the the premier of Quebec, the the woman, the one, uh, she some nut job. Uh, broke in in metropolis that was where she was giving her acceptance speech and tried to kill her and he ended up shooting two people and one of the one of the people died it was an an employee of metropolis and then our benefit was a couple months after that and people were calling metropolis to say uh if you guys do this benefit we're gonna kill some people we're gonna break in and kill some people and that kind of freaked me out because i was uh like if I I never thought this way, but technically, if I do die because of a joke, you know we're all gonna die anyway, and that that's a better way of dying I find than you know a lot of other ways. But I I couldn't live with myself if someone else died because of one of my jokes, right? Well, even even me dying for one of my jokes sucks <laughs> big big time. But you know I can like I'll be dead, so I won't really care. But you know if if knowing that some some poor poor guy that just wants to support free speech gets shot because of that that would have been crazy tell our
0: audience what happened 24 hours before you realized you were at your lowest point in other words there's a point where you're not depressed and then something kicks in and then you're on a couch and you can't get up uh, for me, it's weird. There's one thing I remember,
1: and I don't think this is me really getting out of my depression, but there was a while I was uh, suicidal when uh, my, the last part of my run in Edinburgh. And I don't I don't even know if it's the fact of being in Edinburgh since everything's so gray and dark. There, and it's it's August, but it's like it's, you know, it's, it's like 45 degrees like it feels like winter and it's raining and it's horrible and it's miserable so the whole time i was there I, the the i kept you know getting darker and darker and darker thoughts and eventually i've never been suicidal my whole life but i got suicidal and i texted my wife uh that i was suicidal And then she answered back, she answered, uh, can you order some Nespresso? (laughs) And then I was like, what, what? Like I didn't get, I was like, what? Is that a joke? Is she, like I'm telling her I'm suicidal and she's she's doing a little she's doing a little joke so i was like what and then she wrote back and then she was like yeah you know the nespresso um the the accounts in your name i don't want to have to open a new account it'll just be easier if you can order some for a couple months and then the next guy can can get an account and then i was like what she's doing jokes about the next guy what the fuck so i called her up and we got into this weird weird funny arguments i was angry but laughing at the same time because i thought it was so stupid and that's the like the that's the way i always deal with sadness is just with jokes and i guess most comics are like that and then that kind of like i never like i never thought about
0: suicide after that isn't that funny that yeah your wife told a joke that offended you yeah (laughs) so you felt the same way that family felt the courtroom exactly. for what your wife said. Yeah, don't you find that yeah. ironic?
1: That's very funny. They should. They should. If they would have called me instead of calling the Human Rights Commission, we probably could have settled, settled this. I would have got them some <laughs> Nespresso and everybody'd be happy. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so when I got back, um, the thing about me is um, when I was in my depression. And I think people were kind of freaking out when they meet me because I'd, I'd always tell them, first thing I'd tell them, I'd be, look, I'm, I'm in a depression. Uh, I'm not how I usually am. I'm only at uh, 30%. but uh, And then they'd be like, why is he telling me where he is? But I, I started telling them the percentage I was at just to see, just to visualize a number in my head and then to know, like the, at first I was telling people, look, I'm at 30%. Uh, and then the next week, I was like, I'm at 35. And then I was like, oh, this is good. I'm higher than I was last week. And um, I kept on doing shows once a week. Uh, oh, sorry. Once a month just because uh, I didn't want to stop doing shows altogether because I didn't want to. If you stop doing stand-up for a long time, you you end up sucking, you know, it, or it's harder to get back on stage. But I figured one, uh, a week, a month, a I'd, I'd get a little rusty, but not too much. Plus, I'd I you know I'd make working a, a week a month, I could make enough money to live and you know support. And my, when you went on stage, that made you feel better. It, no, it actually didn't, which is very weird. That was the it didn't. Th- that was the weirdest thing because the comedy is the only thing I've ever loved my whole life. And it didn't make me feel better. And I was. Is your wife going
0: to listen to this podcast? Yeah, <laughs> she probably is. Do you want to change that answer? No, <laughs> no, no. I, I, no, I you I'm, know, I'm kidding. Whatever I say, I, I can, you know, I can live with.
1: But uh, no, she's uh, and she's French, so I'll, I'll just tell her I said something else. But uh, yeah, when. Um, so the com- comedy was always the best for me. And um, when, uh, when I was going through my depression, I'd, I'd write stuff about my depression, I'd go on stage, and if it, if it didn't work, I'd, I'd be sad or angry because it didn't work. Not angry, but, you know, just sad. But then when I did jokes that did work, instead of being happy that, hey, I killed, I was like, these these assholes are making fun of me. It felt very weird. It felt very w- weird. So I was just doing my old material, and my old material, it, it just felt like I was, you know, on a, on, like I was just automatic pilot. Like, it, it, it didn't, I wasn't good on stage and... Or you know, I guess people didn't even notice but but or well, some did, or maybe they all did, but i didn't think I was good on stage, I wasn't having fun, but then the 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 the, the better I got off stage the more the more fun I started having on stage and uh I remember the I did one show. Because I'd only do shows that one week a month. And then I had a friend that was going to do a set in a club. And he was like, you should come. You should come do a set. And I was like, I don't want to. I'll go watch you. I watched him. And then he, he introduced me. I went up on stage. And I had fun. And I was like, oh, shit. I remember, I remember why I started doing stand-up. It's almost like during my depression, I'd forgot that I liked doing stand-up. And it, it had become a, a job.
0: As you know I was fortunate enough to do a documentary surrounding the only living person to ever admit to killing JFK from the grassy knoll. This is a guy who spent 50 years in prison just got out. We have exclusive footage of his interview and over 20 different interviews along with interviews with five of the greatest JFK assassination experts in the world. Once you watch these videos your perception of the world and what happened that day will change forever. It's incredible. Just go to ikilledjfk.com. You can pick up the documentary I Killed JFK and the rare interviews of five of the greatest JFK assassination experts in the world. I guarantee you, once you watch this footage, you will be blown away. To quote one of the experts in the film, when Trump said he wanted to drain the swamp, what do you think's at the bottom of the swamp? I ikilledjfk.com. Check it out. And that wraps up part one of two episodes. You can check out the next episode this coming Thursday. And here's a preview of the next episode.
1: A guy like uh, George Carlin became george carlin when he was in his 50s like if you look at the george carlin in his 40s he wasn't as good and the same prior like a, a comedy career isn't just you know getting your first uh, 40 50 minutes at. it's not just getting your first special it's a, a comedy career starts whenever you start doing comedy and it ends when you die
0: the dreamers they have all to gain it's never quite over
1: till it all feels the same
0: you pick your own poison dig your own